Welcome to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns. Real people, real voices, real lives. Discussing mental health, addiction and disability in the community. Your weekly window to the real world. Welcome to Take It From Us. Today's program. Hope you've been well. Man, the year's just flying by. We're into June already. Uh, Queen's birthday weekend. Hope you got the opportunity maybe to, to do some things you ordinarily wouldn't do. You know, something a little bit special, something a little bit different. We spent the weekend, a long weekend with some friends. We went away just for a couple of days. Uh, it's been a tough week in our family. Uh, we received some, some poor health news uh, for a relative just a few days ago. And so we thought, you know what, Laura and myself, we, we need to sp- to be with people that will fill our buckets up. Instead of moping around, we, we want to be with people and we've got some great friends who just know what to say. They know how to listen. It was really important that we did that over the weekend and so I've come back from the weekend feeling refreshed and certainly more optimistic about things than I was just a few days ago. I'll tell you something else though that's, that's worked for me throughout the week has been Jimmy Hunt's Constant Conscious Choices. He was a special guest on our program last week and he spoke about the three C's. If we want to make some real good self-improvement, we need to make constant conscious choices. And one thing that he spoke about was cold water therapy. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. And so I was determined to have some form of cold water therapy each day for the past seven days. And I'm happy to report that I achieved that. I'm lucky I live close to a beach. I can either jump in the car or just walk down the hill. Oh, geez, it's cold. I was rubbing my hands together. It was freezing. But each and every day I jumped in, had a great swim just for 10, 12, 15 minutes. Absolutely loved it and just felt so great afterwards. Turns out that cold water therapy produces better, a better range of blood cells, including immune system upgrades. It is good for us. It shocks our body into having to adapt to the cold temperature and the benefits are enormous. And the scientific evidence around this is, is overwhelming now. It's such a great thing. And look, I can attest to that now, having having achieved a, a small sample size. And what I've worked out is rather than feeling intimidated by the thought of 10 to 12 to 15 minutes, I just have to stay in the water breathing through my nose for the first two minutes. If I can make it for two, I can make it for 10, 12 or 15. No problem after that because the body has adjusted. The key is in the breath. But it's been magnificent and I'm so glad that I've been doing it. Now, obviously, July, August when it's really cold, can I keep this going? To the best of my ability, that is certainly the plan. Has anything worked for you? off the back of what we had talked about with Jimmy Hunt last week, making those constant conscious choices, trying to form new habits, trying to form healthy routines. If anything's worked in the last few days, leave us a note. We'd love to hear from you, of course, on our Facebook page, Take It From Us. On today's program, a couple of guests that we've featured before. A little bit later, we'll hear from Keely O'Hagan. She's a champion New Zealand high jumper, but her greatest battle has been with herself. 
Uh, but she does have a very powerful story. It's an awesome story that will bring a smile to your face. So looking forward to hearing from Keely. But first up today is Sean McNeil on the state of the New Zealand mental health system and where we can do better. You're listening to Take It From Us. My story, your story, our story. Sean McNeil has worked and volunteered in mental health and suicide prevention for more than 35 years, 24 of those in Scotland in the past 11 years here in New Zealand. He's been the chair of the advisory group to depression.org.nz and has advised the New Zealand government on suicide prevention in addition to training police first responders and the general public on suicide prevention and intervention. He now is working for the Health Quality and Safety Commission. Sean, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Take It From Us today. Considering the way in which the world is moving at the moment, you coping okay? Yes, it's uh, it's certainly interesting times and we've all had to make adjustments, but um, I can fairly easily work from my rural lifestyle block here in the Horofenoa. And so, um, yeah, I'm managing to continue with all of the advocacy that I am doing in mental health and addictions from here almost as easily as I was when I was in the office in Wellington. It's quite the resume you have and and quite the story you can tell. And we want to get into your personal story uh, just a little bit later today. But just to start with, of, of the work that you've been doing recently, how have you been trying to improve the mental health and addiction services to make them safer? Yeah, I mean, in the last 20 years or so, there have been much more openness and accountability in terms of the service provision. There's more public reporting of data, for example, so we can more easily track how things are going and more avenues for people to raise concerns if they have concerns. So gone are the days like when I um, started nursing 30 uh, years ago, um, where things can happen, if you like, in the back wards and, and nobody hears about it. That's much rarer now. So, And there are things in terms of government policy uh, and um, the um, national report for the government inquiry into mental health and addiction, Ha'ara Oranga, it recommended a national discussion with wide sector involvement to consider... Um, the beliefs and evidence and attitude, the whole balance in mental health about um, risk and safety, etc. And I think that's a really welcome um, development that is going to happen because we really need that to try and transform some of the attitudes and, as I say, that balance between safe and managed risk-taking and um, empowering people to recover from the distress that they're experiencing. What attitudes need to change in our community? Well, the current system is and current attitudes are too focused on perceived risk and perceived dangerousness and things. Um, and that's only led to increased coercive practices and um, people experiencing compulsion under the mental health legislation and things like that where we need a much more humanistic, human rights based, trauma informed um, approach to people in mental distress um, greater involvement of peers and cultural advisors 
And yeah, just uh, that's part of the transformation that I think that we are looking for a much more compassionate and humanistic um, mental health and addiction system of, of care and support. You talk about the peer support and, and clearly people with lived experience. Has that improved greatly in, in the last, say, 20 years as far as you're concerned? So it probably improved in the previous 10 years, but in the last 10 years, it has kind of either stayed still or gone backwards a little bit. And so it's definitely something that we are um, hoping that the government are going to look at um, investing and supporting the lived experience workforce because actually this is much more, the transformation that we need is much more about more nurses and more doctors and it is not necessarily more beds. Actually from the work that we have been doing in the the, the Health Quality and Safety Commission um, who I work for, we've seen really good practice-based evidence that the involvement of people with lived experience and the involvement of people who come from a cultural perspective make a huge difference in terms of the quality of care and the the um, the levels of um, coercion and things like um, the levels of medication and the levels of assaults, etc. When people are in hospital, so it's really important for us to have that that diversity of the workforce and availability of um, both peer support and cultural support much more throughout the country. Why has it stagnated, for want of a better term, in the last ten years? It's related to what we spoke about already in terms of risk and safety. Um, there's a perception that it's it's a more risky thing to do. Um, but I think that we're now acknowledging that we can't magic up um, mental health nurses or doctors. We know that there's a, a national shortage, whereas we have an underutilised lived experience um, workforce potentially, and we also have... Um, people who can work in cultural specific um, positions and therefore it really just takes um, some coordination in terms of the system to look at what's working and what's working well and to try and replicate that in different parts of the country. There are some really, really good areas of excellent practice and then there are some areas where there's nothing or next to nothing at all and so we just need a more a more you know um uniform approach a, a better oversight of the whole system Sean, i know that you've got many progress uh, projects on the go at the moment one of those is zero seclusion can you tell us what does this look like yeah so the, the project is called Zero Seclusion, Safety and Dignity for All, and that's really important because it is about creating a more safer environment, not only for people who are using services, but also for the staff who are working in the services as well. Um, but the practice of seclusion, which is also known as solitary confinement, is something that has been government policy for over a decade in Aotearoa um, to to um, end. Um, it's contrary to the United Nations Convention on Persons with Disabilities um, and it is traumatic both for the person who is being secluded 
and for the staff who are doing the seclusion as well and indeed for anybody that's witnessing the practice. And so we've been working with all of the DHBs in Aotearoa that practice seclusion to further reduce the practice. So there had been a significant reduction and then there'd been a plateauing of progress. So the Health Quality and Safety Commission had brought in some quality improvement um, ways of doing things to try to get that downward trajectory going again. And we've had some um, some success in that now, and we're now seeing some district health boards who are reaching zero seclusion um, and one district health board that's actually staying at zero. So that's really uh, encouraging. Um, and what also is encouraging is we've just had a consultation on the new mental health legislation that is coming round the bend and it's really looking strongly like that um, the practice of seclusion will no longer be possible in that new legislation and therefore we've got a finite end in a couple of years time when that legislation comes into effect so we know that now we're working towards um uh, enabling the alternatives to the practice of seclusion so that um, seclusion can be eliminated from Aotearoa altogether. Yeah, it kind of seems hard to believe, given the science, and that's been around for so long, that, that I mean, essentially, sure, when you're talking about solitary confinement, it seems hard to believe that is still a practice. That's right. Um, not that long ago, it was um, found out that it was happening in some school environments. And when it became public knowledge, that was really quickly um, stopped. Um, and so it, it, it's a bit ironic. Why is it um, not okay to do to school children, but it's okay to do with people who are experiencing mental distress or who are um, intoxicated with drugs, etc. And you know, we don't we don't say this lightly. We know that um, there are some real challenges in dealing with the behaviour and how people present to some of the services. But there are definitely ways of um, dealing with individuals and coping with individuals um, without ever having to lock them in a, in a seclusion cell, a solitary confinement cell. And as you say, it's used as a punishment in the corrections service. Um, so effectively, why are we punishing people who are ill and coming to us for care and support? Yeah, it certainly begs the question and, and something to ponder. I, I wanted to get your thoughts too on suicide prevention. So much is said about this. I, I'm not sure if many of us know what that should actually look like. What should it look like? Suicide prevention is complex, of course. Um, it's one of these areas where it's actually um, different strokes work for different folks, if you like. Um, but... Um, there are some real basic things that we can do in the community that that would help. Um, one of the things I used to ask the police when I used to train the police about suicide prevention was how many of them knew the neighbours that lived either side of them. And it's really surprising how how few of them actually knew even the names of their neighbours. So one of the things that's just really important is human connection. You know, know your neighbour um, and try to uh, reach out to people and try to build community. 
it's very easy in the society that we have today to be quite disconnected, to go to work, to go home in your little box and stay in your little box and not necessarily reach out to community, etc. So it's really, really important for us to have those connections. And particularly in these times of um, COVID, you know, we are by nature social animals and our days are full of connection and disconnection usually. And so it's really important for us to have those connections in our in our lives, you know, if if we don't connect with people, then we won't be able to pick up signals for when they are struggling, because it's a fallacy to say to people, "Oh well, just reach out for help," mm. because you know I've been suicidal myself, and I couldn't always reach out for help. Sometimes I needed people to reach in to me, and therefore people to. Um, look at me and think, actually, Sean's not doing too good today or he's not sounding too good. Mm. So I'm going to have the courage to not just recognize that, but say, are you doing okay, mate? Is there anything I can do for you? Even if it's just to sit with you and not say anything. It's not about us needing to fix people because, you know, that's not necessarily going to happen. You don't need to listen to somebody and feel like you need to respond you can just be there for somebody reach out to somebody and just be in that space with them just your presence may help them get over that really difficult time that they're going through you're listening to take it from us our guest is sean mcneil health from the health quality and safety commission sean we heard about your background and your lived experience you've talked about being suicidal yourself what needed to happen for you to get where you are today and where did you find the optimism from where you could think of a brighter future for yourself? Yeah, thanks, Kent. That's a a really difficult thing to put into a short period of time. But yes, at one point in my life, I was quite mentally unwell. Um, My marriage broke down. I lost contact with my children lost my job, became bankrupt, and for a very short time was street homeless as well. So it's at those times in your life where you think, actually, things can't get much worse than they are right now. Um, So you could say that the the only way was up from there. Um, One of the things that helped me, and it's a bit of a surprise even to myself to say this, that, that this helped me because... Um, it's not something that I would generally have an affinity to, but there's a guy called Tony Robbins. He's an American motivational speaker, and a lot of his speaking is about business and about wealth creation, but actually there's a core there as well about um, about um, not ruminating on things, about trying to master your emotions a bit better, and also to take some action as well. Because one of the things that I would do would be withdraw and then ruminate on how awful my situation was, and that wasn't getting me anywhere or getting making me feel any better at all. So I decided to try and take some action. And even though I was really socially anxious, I was quite socially anxious, um, I got out there and I started to look for a voluntary position 
And once I got a voluntary position, that actually gave me a little bit of structure and also made me feel a little bit valued that actually I had something to contribute. Mm -hmm. Because when I was suicidal, I thought, well, I've got nothing to give and nobody would miss me being here. So, you know, there's no point. Whereas that volunteering role made me feel a bit of value and gave me the structure that was sufficient for me to then get gain the confidence to actually return to working. And the other big thing in my life that transformed was um, rediscovering a relationship and rediscovering love, of course. Um, that I was incredibly lucky to find a new role, a new love, new passions, and eventually a new country coming from Scotland to Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, and, and so those are some of the things that helped um, me in my particular circumstance. That pathway to getting out there, to being more active, to um, volunteering, to getting a little bit of my self-esteem back, to um, trying to get a job and not being too disheartened with the rejections and to um, connecting with people and gaining a new uh, living relationship, etc. Um, and, and also finding a community as well. So it was probably around then that I connected much more with the lived experience community and started to become more of a activist as well as an advocate for um, the lived experience voice and the fact that actually services and clinicians need us. They need our perspectives. They need to hear what we need and what we want. And, and so, yeah, that'll, that'll help to turn things around for myself. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And it's it's such a powerful one and, and, and an inspiring one. And you got me thinking too, just a couple of minutes ago when you talked about essentially not... <sighs> In some situations, it's, it's difficult to ask for help. We, we need our friends and family, our loved ones, to, to help us first by putting their hands up and asking. Um, and I think that's food for thought for everybody. What should we be looking for as a friend, as a, as a confidant, as a loved one, when we want to help people? Yeah, going back to what I said earlier about suicide prevention, it's kind of about being neighbourly and community-minded. Um, it's about offering some of yourself and taking a few risks. I think people, and, and I totally understand this, but people can be a bit afraid of, oh, well, I don't want to ask a question because it might make things worse or whatever. It's very, very unlikely to make things worse if you are coming from a place of inquiry, a place of compassion and saying to somebody um, I don't think you're looking that good today, is there anything that I can do, can I spend some time with you um, is there anything that you want me to get for you um, can I help you access some support or a service if you're already engaged in a service there's something about um, being vulnerable ourselves to connect with somebody else who is having a real vulnerable, difficult um, moment. And, um, you know, we've all got challenges in our lives at some point in time. You know, it's not all wine and roses the whole time. 
um, I've I've done a little bit of work with um, with Mike King and stuff, you know, and he talks a lot about that. About you know, life isn't great all of the time, and um, uh, I know that um, Dave Latelli talked about what Mike says about you know your inner critic as well, this nagging voice that is saying you're not good enough, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I think you've got to try to ensure that. Um, Things are put in perspective because uh, some people you come across in your life are going to be critical and are going to be negative, etc. If you can distance yourself from those people, try to steer clear of the negativity and try to be the better person. It's not about you, it's about them. You know, we're very quick to to criticise ourselves and think, oh, it must have been something I said or something I'd done. But in the, in the majority of cases, it's actually about the other person. It's not about you. And offer support to people that you think are struggling. Don't feel too pressured, as I said. You don't have to fix people. You don't have to be an expert. You just have to be a human and just be compassionate and make a heart-to-heart connection. It doesn't need to be a mind-to-mind connection. You don't need to be a PhD or a doctor or somebody that is really um, trained in suicide or suicide prevention, you just need to come to them as a compassionate human who cares about them and wants to help to keep them safe and get them through any difficulties that they're having. What are you hopeful for, Sean? Well, we've got a great opportunity this year with Health New Zealand and the Maori Health Authority being created and therefore, I'm really hopeful that we're on a journey towards a more joined up health system. Um, really important one that works better for Maori and Pacific peoples because we're actually failing our Maori and Pacific people in terms of their health right now. But also one that's more diverse in terms of the menu of the supports and treatments that it offers. Um, One where the the value of lived experience is considered equal to academic or clinical experience and a mental health and addiction system that truly supports and cares for people. It it asks what happened to you, not what's wrong with you. And that's really important because when it's something that's happened to you or is happening to you, it's something... That doesn't mean that you're a broken person. It just means that you're going through some challenges at the moment and there is an other side to those kind of challenges. Um, We really need a system, as I said before, where human rights and disability rights are more prominent and individuals' wishes and desires are um, respected more. And things like um, coercion and force and um, Mm -hmm. solitary confinement, seclusion are consigned to the past. They are things that happened in the past but are no longer acceptable in a new and modern mental health and addiction system. Sean, I really appreciate your time having a chat to us. So informative. Really thank you so much for your time on Take It From Us. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Maybe I'm foolish, maybe I'm blind. Thinking I can see through this and see what's behind. Got no way to prove it, so maybe I'm lying. But I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Don't put your blame on me. Don't put your blame on me. Take a look in the mirror. What do you see? Do you see it clearer or are you deceived in what you believe? Cause I'm only human after all, and you're only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. Don't put your blame on me. me to lie and beg for forgiveness for making you cry, for making you cry, cause I'm only human after all, I'm only human after all, don't put your blame on me, don't put the blame on me. from us. Real stories, real life, as told by you. Take it from us. Well, Keely O'Hagan is a champion New Zealand high jumper, but her greatest battle has been with herself over the years. Uh, as a young woman, uh, she suffered greatly from depression. She had an eating disorder and tried to take her own life. But now she finds herself in a really good space. Uh, we spoke with Keely recently on Take It From Us, and we started by talking about the Commonwealth Games and when she will know if she's been selected to go and represent New Zealand. Around the 20th of June, so still another uh, 10 days or so away. Um, mm. But, yeah, obviously hoping for a successful outcome, but if 
motivation for the future. Mm. Is, is that something that takes up a, a lot of space in your mind? Do you think dwell on it at all? Um, not initially. So initially, I had kind of um, I didn't I hadn't met the criteria. So I've only done one B standard, and it did two standards, uh, two B standards at least um, for um, possibly going. But so I had kind of disregarded that, and you know was just looking forward to other things throughout the year. But then there's been a couple of conversations between um, myself and some other. Athletics New Zealand just around some other potential outcomes. So it's taken up a bit more space in my head than I had initially anticipated. Just, yeah, you've obviously, you don't want to get your hopes up too high because um, it's outside of my control um, now. But, yeah, it's just a little bit nerve-wracking, um, but not too, um, I'm not too anxious about it, which is good. Yeah, you know, we, we want to talk to you about your life as, as much as your sporting career, and, and you've got a, a pretty inspiring story to tell us, and we'll, we'll get to that real soon. But I read recently where you said that you're really proud of yourself and that perhaps, you know, once upon a time you would have found that very difficult to, to say that and to acknowledge that. What are you really proud of? I think I'm just really proud of myself for persevering and also um being here, you know, in this in the space of who I am as a person as well. I've just evolved and grown so much and um, being and see and acknowledge that is something that I think, yeah, I'm really proud of and just everything that I've been able to overcome. Um, but, but, yeah, I think the main thing with I am today, like I'm very content with who that person is. Obviously, we can't be perfect all the time and have positive um, feelings Oh, you know, positive thoughts all the time, but like as a whole, I think content is probably something that um, mm. that I feel about myself, which is cool. Um, so yeah, I'm just proud of of me and proud of the 15 year old, mm. um, you know, who was able to push through everything. 15 to 17 year old. So. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting you use the word content because I think that it's such a powerful word and really when I think about things, it's kind of what we're all striving for is that feeling of contentment. And and I know myself, I've made the mistake in the past of, of been worrying about being happy, but really happiness is an emotion, it comes and it goes. But if you're content, even on a bad day, you know that you're all right. Is that kind of what you're, you've discovered about yourself? That's where you are now? Yeah, definitely. And I... And obviously there's different aspects of my life that I have associate kind of slightly different emotions to at times, but yeah, they come and go in waves. And I think contentment is something that I learned, uh, I realized a little while ago, I don't know how long ago, a couple of years ago that I wanted to strive for because I, I had that kind of realization, you can't be happy, you can't be okay all the time. You will have moments where, or t- lo- they might be long periods of time and that's, that is okay, that happens, it's part um, and so I, I kind of can acknowledge that and then just, you know, look forward and um, continue to strive for that contentment because, mm. yeah, you can't, you can't be on top of the world all the time. It's a very fleeting feeling. You're 28 years of age now and you just referenced that you've come such a long way since you were 15. What can you tell us about some of the ups and downs that you faced in those years? Yeah, so... Um, I think, you know, it's when you're 15, you're going through a lot of uh, <laughs> physical and emotional of hormones and just life is very different um, around friends and you're learning things about friends. And I had um, some um, 
relationship breakdowns with relationship breakdowns as well and um that was kind of the of it and then these pressures of these sporting pressures that I had um just led me down a I like um ran away from home I um needed to get out I, I, I realized that I needed to get out of the environment that I was in in order to be able to move forward and um yeah it was kind of I think 15 onwards was when I um ended up kind of stuck into a depression um which I wasn't formally diagnosed to uh, diagnosed mm. with it. 17 um and then when I had depressions then so it just kind of yeah sport was difficult because I excelled a lot I was always really good at sport in a variety of different sports with rep teams um athletics was one remained a constant of me and I wanted mm. to do you know long term but um I got a national record age group um and I think that having those pressures um on top of like um on my shoulders as a 15 year old was really hard to live up to the expectations mm as well so I think alongside normal life and then I also had some stuff going on with my family and um yeah there was some it was just really overwhelming and just so many Mm. so many emotions and things that you're trying to process that you don't know Mm. um which yeah led me right down to an attempted suicide um and you know fortunately I'm I was able to seek so after that I background support for a little while which was definitely what I needed um but before then I had seen a counsellor on and off um but I also wasn't I think showing um or letting other people see how bad I was which is a I do regret I wish that I had confided in in people Mm. earlier because everyone around Mm. me cared about me and wanted me to be okay so that was kind of, yeah, around my life. And then fortunately, when I was um, almost 18, I just, things started, you know, I I was on antidepressants and then I was very anti, I was really against them initially, um, but they, you know, helped save my, wouldn't do anything, be able to do anything without them. Mm. And how far... How far removed are you now from that person? Uh, in some ways, very far removed. You know, I, um, I, and I, I obviously never seen situation and circumstances change, and we go through periods of time. But I, you know, would really like to hope that so many skills and learn so much about myself and my triggers that I would not be able to be get back to that mm. stage and be that person and that I was you know I was a frightened scared girl um who didn't know how to cope with the world and the um, situation around her um and you know we ha- I have moments I think I think there's a lot of positives and I still am in, in some ways that person in terms of my personality and um I'm quite out there um and you know just love to have a good time and laugh Whereas just everything, um, the kind of, I guess, what I'd associate more with like the negative parts and the down, the downs, um, I'm very far removed from her. I don't have any of 
the same thoughts that I used to have just around. Also, I, I was very low. I had a lot of low confidence as a person, whereas now I have a lot more confidence in myself, um, both who I am and, you know, obviously sporting and, you know, jobs and that. But, um, yeah, so quite far removed in a lot of ways. So it sounds like you've got coping tools now. Yeah. Um, For me, I'm a huge um, someone who loves to just take time out um, when I need to. So, you know, I love tea. I just yesterday bought another tea, another mug. I'm just I have an obsession with mugs, and I love to drink tea, go and sit somewhere nice, you know, outside. For me, nature is just amazing. I and I think that's part of the reason why I've continued to love my sport is because majority of the stuff we do is outside. Being um, there's something very special about fresh air and trees and sunlight. Um, so for me, that that's what kind of my my coping. Um, uh, skills are my the ways that I cope I are that I put myself in an environment that makes me feel good um but I also have a don't like deep as well so I write stuff down um that I'm really struggling with or putting it onto paper um and then obviously I have friends um a couple of close friends that I can confide in um, who I know won't have any ju- hold any judgment. There's always a safe space there, and I think that's something that I didn't feel like I had when I was younger. I had the you know those people in my corner who I could talk to about if things were really down, uh, if I was feeling really down, or if I was having a bad day. Um, and also acknowledging that it's okay to cry um, in certain you know in certain situations. So now I just let myself. And I'll just, you know, if I'm going through it, I'll just let it all out um, and then put myself in an environment, you know, light some, light some candles, grab a book, do little things that just make you feel good and whatever that looks like. Because obviously hard to, um, I always found it was really hard to rationalise things. And so if I just did something really small, then that would um, be for the rest of the rest of the week, whatever that is um, for you. But yeah, for me, it's definitely trying to make some adaptations to my environment. Take it from us, we're having a chat with Keely O'Hagan today. She is a New Zealand high jumper and she's got a really interesting story to tell us and we've been talking about um, Keely struggling through her teenage years and, and now having found contentment. Uh, she's in her late 20s and is hoping to get to the Commonwealth Games later this year. So Keely, tell us, what you what do you do when you're not competing in training? Because you've, you're very well qualified in a couple of things, aren't you? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Um, so I have got, um, I've managed to, don't know how, um, get two degrees um, at different stages of my life. One was just when I left, uh, I had a gap year, which I needed because I needed to, you know, move forward and process everything um, and figure out what it, where I was going and what I wanted to do. But um, yes, yeah, so I did a Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Anthropology. I worked for corrections for a little bit and then decided I wanted to train full-time. And so I quit that job um, and then moved to Christchurch for training and different coaching. And I've just finished a nutrition degree at the end of last year. So 
I have just, as of yesterday, started a new um, part-time role um, with a startup company, a nutrition company. So that's going to keep me busy going forward. I've been doing a little bit of nutrition work um, throughout this year. Um, and so that's kind of what, at the moment, I mean, being an athlete is uh, kind of a 24-7 um, gig. It's not something that you can just switch off. Obviously, you have moments where you're just, you know, you, you take that aside mm. and you're able to put it put it behind you. But um, so for me, the main thing is around I'm, I finish training and I, um, you know, come home and I make sure that I have I have nutritious food and that will keep me going for either the next session. I nap almost every day. <laughs> it's a constant <laughs> in my life, which I think also helps keep me a little bit sane. I can just, um, yeah, switch off. Uh, outside of work and training, well, and um, sport, I'm a, I'm a big reader. Um, last few years, started to um, become a little bit more creative, so um, doing some jewellery. Um, I am, have been attempting to draw. Uh, attempting is probably a key word. It's very much a learning process. Um, yeah, just in going for walks and doing um, little things like lying in the sun. Um, yeah, so my life at the moment isn't, it's very busy, but I have quite a lot of, um, t- well, I force myself to have a lot of downtime as well because it can be quite hectic and I find that if I do too much, I get a bit overwhelmed. What are, can you just tell us about the pressures of being a top athlete, both intrinsically, the pressure that you put on yourself and the pressure and and other outside influences? Uh, The pressure that you put on yourself is probably one of the things that is maybe the hardest part of being an athlete. Um, You just expect more. You're constantly expecting more. Um, Obviously, we're striving in some way to achieve that because obviously that's not realistic. But um, I just want, personally, just want progress. So if I'm seeing progress in small little ways, then I'm okay with that. I think around performance, it's really hard because you have a lot of, you put a lot of pressure on yourself and if you don't perform well, then there's a lot of negative, well, there can be, not always, there can be a lot of kind of negative self-talk that's associated with it. And, and often you feel as though you as a person have failed, How, um, whereas you are just someone who hasn't achieved what they want in that particular context at that time. Um, and so I think it's really hard to differentiate the two and so the pressure that you put on yourself can sometimes make you feel um, unworthy um, as a person if you don't achieve the things that you want that you want to achieve and we set the standard and so sometimes you know we just um, it can yeah that can be really hard but I think for me now I have tried to remove the pressure and obviously that to an extent you have to have um, have that in order to progress forward. But for me, I've removed a lot of the that out with enjoyment. And if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, um, then I won't feel the same pressure. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, that's just something that I've that I've kind of work, worked on um, personally. 
does, you can definitely feel it. And especially in, you know, in social media, it's quite easy for people to look in from that, well, to look in from the outside and not see, you know, most people don't know what's someone's lives. And so sometimes if someone makes a little comment of, oh, you know, they're not doing very well, um, or any, uh, you know, they might not have the full context around why potentially someone didn't, um, I didn't perform well that day or haven't um, progressed. And so to allow external influences bring you down as well. Um, also, it's quite, sports quite, quite political. And so if, um, which obviously has to, everything um, has to be. Um, and so there's a lot that you can't control in terms of, um, being selected for teams and, and everything and so if yeah it's it is a hard process of trying to figure out um, how to not let anything else affect you um, and just kind of uh, yeah I try not I try to block out anything mm. any external noise now um, and just focus on me um, and, uh, and and what works for me I guess that could be challenging. You're a young person, so you probably like to use social media, but we know about the dangers of that too, of course, is because of, of the online bullying and some of the stuff that you just referenced. So how, how can you shut all of that stuff out whilst also being an active participant? Yeah, it's really hard, and it's something that I haven't mastered. Um, I see, you know, I still, yeah, I, I participate on social media. I, I haven't downloaded TikTok used to download TikTok because I don't want I just know that I'll end up down a bit of a rabbit hole and um, and probably more so with time than anything else but then obviously you know there's been an impact on your mental health so I you know in terms of length of time so I'm just trying to restrict that as well um, but you know I still compare myself to other people sometimes I still have my moments where I'm I'm like oh my gosh that person is amazing you know but we don't see everything that is going on there. And it's, I, I can't imagine being younger than I am. And I'm an old, and I'm an experienced older athlete <laughs> now. Um, so in the sporting worlds, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm seen as old. I've had a few of the younger people be like, Oh my gosh. And I obviously don't feel very old. I feel like I'm 20. Um, yeah. And I, I, I definitely um, haven't mastered that, but i in terms of the con- what I'm putting out on social media, it's something I still haven't. Um, I'm an active participant, obviously, in putting posting stuff up, especially on Instagram, um, and I still haven't figured out what, how I can do that without and, and try and minimise any harm that may be caused by someone else by seeing any of my content. Think of myself when I was younger, and I would see, you know, old people that I looked up to putting stuff on social media, and I just thought they were perfect, and they didn't have any of the mental health struggles, didn't have any physical health struggles, um, and they would have been feeling a lot of the same pressures that um, that I have had to work through over the last couple of years as well. And so, yeah, to answer that question, I'm not too sure. I haven't quite mastered it at all. Um, I'm just trying to be a little bit more realistic about life now on on my own social media, and hopefully that there's you know some that someone who, especially a younger person, can look at it and be like, "Well, you know, like I didn't realise that other people went through 
some other some things. But um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how yeah best to to go through that. But I'm just I'm yeah just trying to put little snippets up of um, reality at times. Do you do you? speak to or mentor any young athletes that the younger athletes talk to you as someone who's a little bit older as they say and and if so what's the advice that you give them and and for any of our listeners today who might be younger what advice do you have for them to navigate their way through life um oh that's tricky is it tricky one um advice my advice would just be to um not, I know it's really hard to hear yourself to other people and what they're going through and just work, you know, work on, on you and what makes you happy because what makes someone else happy isn't necessarily going to, going to make ha- what make you happy and listen to you rather than that. And find your, pe- find your people that support you and can be there for you because they'll help you. You're not going to have a perfect ride. Um, no one, you know, no one does. Or very few people do. And, um, yeah, just try and really um, hone in on you and and your, like, awesome qualities that you have as a person. Because everyone has them. Even if, you know, we've got we've all got some things that we might not like about us. There's so many positives. Um, and I've actually got now, I've got um, just up on my wall um, here to my left, you know, I've got... Um, affirmations that I've got there of I am worthy um be patient with yourself fear cannot hold me back I forgive myself because we all have things that we've said done that we don't necessarily um like um but you have to be able to forgive yourself and move forward um and I am powerful and brave and radiant so yeah I guess finding those things that make you feel um that can guide you through the hard times um that's great that's so good man the the positive affirmation so you're actually talking to yourself as you would anyone who's important in your life Mm, yeah and it's been and it's hard to do it's really hard to do but I you know sometimes I'll have moments and I'm just feeling so good that day and so I'll you know if I'm done, like I might just, I've started doing um, like some dancing or like singing out loud, you know, I love music and um, you're just singing and then just acknowledging that happiness and that moment and how it makes me feel as a person and that, that just empowers me so much and it just makes me very happy with um, who I am in that moment and then hyping myself up, you know, like when I jump now, I stand there and I, I stand tall and I visualize in my head and I often the, the, you don't see it because it's kind of in the pre stuff before cameras go to you, but like I'll be smiling and I'll be like beaming, um, just loving being there and loving um, and knowing that I am like a strong person who can handle things that are coming forward. And I don't feel like that all the time. So yeah, mm. just remember that that's not an all the time thing, but I've got these things there to help remind me. And if I say them, to myself more about I am brave, especially I am worthy. I am worthy really resonates with me as um, um, as a word that's yeah really strong and, and holds a lot of emotion for me. And I think that would be the case for a lot of people as well. Often we don't feel worthy. Um, so yeah, to say you know constantly to myself that I am worthy. I am worthy of 
um, everything that is coming my way. Like I have, I, I have worked for this and I deserve this. Um, and that's something that, yeah, it took me a long time to realise. But I love, yeah, they've been there now for quite some time and I move them around the room so that they, I kind of see them all the time and I add, add to them. Um, but that's something that really, yeah, resonates with me a lot is some powerful words. I am worthy. Thank you so much for leaving that with us and thanks for your time and we wish you all the very best for the rest of your career and whatever else life throws up at you and fingers crossed you get into the Com Games team. Thank you so much and thanks for yeah helping share my story. That is Keely O'Hagan on Take It From Us, champion New Zealand high jumper, and we really hope that she gets named in that Commonwealth Games team in just a few days from now. She was so generous to give us her time and and just to be generous of spirit. I said at the start of the program that I hope that interview would put a smile on your face. It certainly did for me, and it would be great to see who gets selected to head off to Birmingham to represent New Zealand later in the year. That is our program for another week. Uh, Please make sure you jump on board the Facebook page, leave us any comments, let us know uh, what you think of the program. Facebook.com, take it from us. Big shout out to Karen Murphy for producing the program as always. And I can actually tell you about our special guest on next week's program. He's known as the Resilient Farmer. He published a very, very well-received and popular book a number of years ago. He's been a colleague of Sir John Kerwin in the Mental Health Fraternity, helping farmers to deal with the strains and stresses of life and to be vulnerable and to be open and honest and talk about their feelings and lean into people and ask for help. He's he's got a great story. His name is Doug Avery, and he will be our very special guest on Take It From Us next week. We really look forward to talking with him. Thanks so much for listening, as always. Thanks to all of our guests that we have on the program. It is greatly appreciated. Please look after yourselves, look after each other, and we'll reconvene again next week here on Take It From Us. You've been listening to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns, produced by Karen Murphy, executive producer Andrew Dewhurst, made with the real stories and voices from our community. And for that... We thank you. For more information on anything you've heard on today's show or for direction on where to seek further advice or assistance, visit our Facebook page. Take it from us.
your whānau protection against 